0: The way you think, the way you emote, the way you connect with other people have major effects on the way your brain operates. So in other words, it's an interactive uh, dialogue, you could say, on multiple levels that we're looking at. So uh, we're away from reductionism, reductionism being down to the biology necessarily. We are biological creatures, but we can change our biology by our behavior. Uh, But now we know so much more about uh, the neurophysiology, the the immune system, the genes, how they change as our environment changes, how our behavior changes. So we, as practicing psychologists, uh, are essentially helping people change their physiology as well as the way they think and the way they feel. And the way they feel and think also changes their physiology.
1: You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis.
2: Hi there. Today on Wisdom for Wellbeing, I'm joined by Dr. John Arden. Dr. Arden is a leader in the field of integrative psychotherapy, and in fact, he's written over 15 books exploring the links between psychotherapy, neuropsychology, epigenetics, psychoneuroimmunology, and nutritional neuroscience. And don't worry if that sounds like a mouthful, because in addition to writing research-based books for therapists, he writes very practical self-help books. I actually first discovered him many years ago when I read his book, Rewire Your Brain, Think Your Way to a Better Life, a wonderful book that taught me about what was going on in my brain when I was feeling overwhelmed and provided evidence-based practices that I could use to cultivate more calmness and connection. So I think you'll also find that his ability to explain complicated systems in an accessible manner is as empowering as his message that we can cultivate a healthy mind and body. And he should know, in addition to being a brilliant author and teacher, Dr. Arden has been working as a psychologist for over 40 years and developing mental health programs, including leading one of the largest mental health training programs at Kaiser Permanente where he worked as the Northern California's Regional Director and supervised over 150 interns and postdoctoral psychology students. In today's episode, Dr. Arden will introduce you to the foundations of a healthy life through something called SEEDS, which is a mnemonic as well as sharing the FEED approach, another mnemonic, that will help you learn new skills and ultimately rewire your brain so you can create positive change in your life. Just a quick reminder, the seeds and FEED mnemonics and outlines of what they mean can be found in the show notes, so you can just head on over to drkatelyn.com forward slash two to be able to access these show notes. There's no need to take notes while you're listening. I hope you enjoy. And without further ado, here's Dr. Arden. So John, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast and taking this time out of your day to have this conversation. As I mentioned in our little discussion before, you know I'm so delighted and excited to talk with you because you've been someone I've been following for a number of years and I've been consuming your material, both the self-help and the material that you're offering for clinicians as well. So thank you.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I and mean, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
2: I guess in terms of starting our conversation today, you know, I mentioned that it's an optimistic view and I find that your view of what we might call brain-based therapies or looking at the underpinnings of a lot of the psychological effects and benefits that individuals can access through psychology, but an integrated approach to health and well-being is really optimistic and hopeful. You know, you talk about how we can rewire the brain for instance how we're not bound by difficult you know mental ill health that we might have suffered in the past that there is an opportunity to transform our experience in a healthful way going forward and your more recent book mind brain gene also looks at the epigenetic factors so how we can you know, turn on or turn off genes that might be related to well-being, you know, away from ill health and how psychotherapy might actually be a part of the transformation that we're making at a very biological level, which is incredible.
0: Mm -hmm. And in fact, you use the word integrated and and, uh, I want to underline it because uh, what we're going to be talking about, certainly what I've been trying to uh, address is the non-reductionistic approach So though you you noted brain-based, I'm not uh, thinking that it's all about the neuron or all about the gene, but rather your uh, behavior, uh, the way you think, the way you emote, the way you connect with other people have major effects on the way your brain operates. So in other words, it's an interactive uh, dialogue, you could say, on multiple levels that we're looking at. So uh, we're away from reductionism. Reduction isn't being down to the biology, necessarily. We really are biological creatures, but we can change our biology by our behavior.
2: Well, yeah. W- would you mind starting with that? Maybe would you give us a bit of an overview of this integrative psychology framework and how different disciplines come together or you know how what's happening in our brain affects what's happening in our body and our gut and, and just a, a little bit of an overview of what's going on here? Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. Why don't we even uh, uh, say that uh, two of the big founding fathers of, uh, and there was many founding uh, uh, grandmothers as well, but they they don't get get as much (laughs) credit as they deserve, that at some point in the future, uh, we would be talking about how counseling, psychotherapy, or, or changing the way you think actually changes brain structure so William James and and Sigmund Freud uh, hypothesized over a hundred years ago that that in fact what we're doing however they didn't know much about the brain they didn't know much about uh, uh, how uh, the pre, even the prefrontal cortex worked uh, but now we know so much more about uh, the neurophysiology the uh, the immune system, the genes, how they change as our environment changes, how our behavior changes. So we, as practicing psychologists, uh, are essentially helping people change their physiology as well as the way they think and the way they feel and the way they feel and think also changes their physiology. And so we've come a long way in a 100 years. Uh, If you look back at, uh, let's say, 30 years ago, uh, when you were just a, uh, a little girl, <laughs> uh, a very little girl, <laughs> uh, there were these genophobe, uh, genocentric people that thought that uh, the genes were everything, you know, and, and everything's related to these genetic predispositions. And, and, um, uh, it turned out because of the human genome project that we were uh, astounded that we didn't have as many genes as we assumed we would have. We thought we had perhaps maybe a 100,000 genes. Uh, and it turns out that we have roughly about 22,000. So I've got to uh, stop for a second and say, well, what the heck is a gene? But a gene is a, a section of your DNA um, uh, that codes for protein. And it looks like, uh, based on a lot of this genomic research, that only 2% of your DNA codes for protein. That means 98% is available to do other things. And in fact, up until recently, we, we were calling it junk DNA. Well, it turns out that it's not junk. What it does it, it is it's called non-coding DNA. It does a lot of different things to help you adapt to your environment, to help you uh, and your body uh, adapt to whatever you're consuming, whatever you're doing. Uh, and so now we know that uh, genes, those sections of your DNA that code for protein, have multiple inputs. Uh, and some of those inputs are not genes, in fact. It's the way your cell interacts with your environment or maybe the way that your um, little uh, uh, energy-producing factories that we call mitochondria are creating or not creating energy that turn on and off genes. And where does that come from? Well, it comes from what we direct them to do in terms of what we consume and what we're doing. So wow, we've got a lot of different inputs here.
2: It's a lot. It's a lot of layers, and it's really a sophisticated system, you know, to have gone from this understanding of junk DNA to recognizing that actually what we're doing is affecting those levels of our our genetic profile. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely exciting.
2: Yeah, it is exciting. And I, I guess with that, it means that we have this capacity, we have this power to transform or to be very um, aware, mindful of how, how our environment, how the behaviors we're engaging in are affecting us at a cellular level. And would you mind sharing a bit about what sort of behaviors are really beneficial, what the evidence suggests is really beneficial in terms of transforming ourselves, you know, ourselves for the better?
0: So let's just take a look at two really basic uh, factors. And in fact, before we started uh, uh, our discussion here on on uh, line, we were talking uh, offline, so to speak, about uh, some not so clear thinkers. And uh, what we know about the Western diet, for example, is it's replete with uh, simple carbohydrates and and um, you could say sugars, uh, and also trans fatty acids. You know oil that's um, um, boiled in a metal container Uh, and the western diet is actually creating multiple uh, health problems pandemics Uh, you're talking from australia i'm talking from the united states and and we lead the world we united states lead the world in the pandemic right now Uh, and that is obesity and we're number two in diabetes type two Uh, I was down in Mexico not long ago. They're number one in diabetes type 2 and number two in uh, obesity. Now, why is that such a concern? Uh, And, you know, some of the listeners might be saying, well, I'm not obese. Why would I even be concerned about it? Well, it turns out that extra fat cells um, actually uh, create some problems, not uh, from a vanity point of view, uh, but from a... um, uh, Maladaptive immune system point of view. In other words, you turn on your immune system when you don't want it on. Why would that be an issue? Well, if you suffer from chronic inflammation, that is an issue. And it turns out that uh, extra fat cells turn on the immune system uh, in a way that creates chronic inflammation. And so, why would that be a problem? Well, do you want to be foggy headed and not be able to think very clearly? Do you want to have bad moods? Uh, do you want to be more um, uh, susceptible to or vulnerable to being stressed out easily? Uh, well, those are not very adaptive characteristics, right? So here you have genes, immune system, and behavior all working together to a person's detriment.
2: What you describe them, that, um... John? So, yeah, like the foggy headedness and the stressed out that is related to the increased inflammation that an experience, uh, an individual might be experiencing. Those to me would be warning signs for mental ill health. They certainly are things that, you know, I hear and I think, oh, that's not, that's not a good sign. And yet there's this cycle, isn't there? Because often when we aren't feeling our best, when we're more stressed, when we're feeling low, when we're overwhelmed, that tends to be when people then reach for the hamburger. Mm -hmm. you know, that there's this cycle. So I guess I'm curious, you've got an acronym SEEDS around the different areas that people can work to improve their health, as well as this idea of how we might feed our brain. And I think that's going to relate to how we transform some of the behaviors that Mm -hmm. are more healthful. So just since I've given a mouthful, would you Mm -hmm. mind leading with SEEDS and explaining what that is and how you came to develop this really handy um, tool for people to take care of themselves?
0: Well, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And uh, earlier we were talking about how important it is to um, make um, uh, complicated science easily understood by the general public. And I'm always compelled to try to come up with ways of remembering uh, important factors. And so the mnemonic seeds is a way of remembering these five incredibly important health-related factors. And you mentioned earlier, feed your brain. We could talk about that too. That's another mnemonic. Easy way to remember important factors. So let's talk about the seeds factors. Um, so um, these five healthy factors, uh, if not uh, engaged in and cultivated on a regular basis, can actually decrease your longevity. <laughs> in other words, you die sooner uh and you're not only gonna die sooner, but you're also gonna die not so comfortable with death either uh so this is about longevity it's about clarity of mind, it's about even the length of your telomeres, which are the caps on the ends of your chromosomes that protect your chromosomes from mutations and and so on. So what are the five healthy factors? Well, to begin with uh the first s of seeds now remember it's s e e d s planting seeds, uh, the I like first that S- memory. is social. It, we are incredibly social beings. In fact, we probably are the most social being on the planet. We're the ones that are born most premature of any other species. A, uh, a calf or a colt is born, and they're walking around all uh, right away. Uh, a bird is hatched and flies out of the nest you know in a, you know a couple of days uh we're with our principal caregivers are generally our parents for the longest period of time as incredibly defenseless individuals soaking up the emotions so, soaking up the affect regulatory capacities from a psychological point of view uh and so we learn how to regulate our emotions and regulate the way we think based on that absorption. And we know now that if you are in a early environment that we psychologists call attachment, that's not so good, meaning insecure, uh, that you've got all sorts of major uh underdeveloped areas of the brain, especially the brain's brain, the prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the seminar that you'll, um, I'll, I'll see you next, um uh, of, of the brain that's underdeveloped uh, as a result of a neglect and child abuse. I mean, now we're able to see what doesn't develop as a result of uh, inappropriate or um, abusive early uh, attachment. So we've got this whole infrastructure that relates to our connectivity. And I won't go on and on about all these brain areas and everything else, but uh, the bottom line is it even goes down to the genetic level. We know now from epigenetic research that uh, uh, secure attachment, in other words, good nurturance early on, actually develops a thermostat in your brain through epigenetic factors.
2: Incredible! It's really, really incredible. This is
0: amazing that where all these theoreticians yeah. 50 years ago were talking about this without talking about the gene aspect, they were just saying the psychological aspect. We know now that there are epigenetic factors that relate to this thermostat-like function. So let's go to the first E of um, uh, seeds, and that's exercise. It's the most powerful of. Them all, actually. Uh, So, as hunter gatherers, and we were up until about eleven thousand years ago. Everybody on the planet were, you know, we were all hunter gatherers. It wasn't only, uh, um, well, there still are hunter gatherers, but basically, what what we're talking about is, as a species, we move roughly about ten miles a day, and uh, our bodies evolved to move ten miles a day. Well, very few people do that. Yeah, And so, you know, I've got to, um, uh, just to get to my mailbox, uh, it, if you don't mind, I'm going to bring the camera down. You see that down, down there, it's about, so I'm up on a mountain ridge, yeah. right? Yep. And so I get to go down to my mailbox and I get a epigenetic uh, uh, <laughs> and a physiological boost just to get to my mail because it's a good mile and a half loop, but it's down about 500 feet.
2: Very strategic, so I, John. Yeah.
0: And so that's my minimal dose of the day. And then I get to go up that ridge over there. You can't see that. But anyway, it's we need to do a cardiovascular boost every single day. Now, earlier we were talking about yoga. Yoga is fantastic. No question about it. But we still need a cardiovascular Boost. In other words, you need to get your heart pumping and sweating for at least 30 minutes a day. And there are epigenetic and um, immune system um, factors that underlie its importance. If you don't do that, you now res- uh, end up uh, not being able to develop energy. So a lot of people say, I'll wait until I get energy and then I'll go exercise. Actually, you get energy by exercising. So yeah. if you permit me a little bit of of a sidetrack here. To no, talk I, think, about I think this
2: is important, from. and I think this applies to a lot of us because, as we know, a lot of us are not regularly exercising. So I think head on this, head on the sidetrack. I think it's related.
0: Sure. Every cell in your body has these little energy factories, uh, and they're called mitochondria. Don't worry about the term, but they're these little energy factories. All species have them. That's about 2 billion years ago. That's how multicellular creatures developed by uh, one bacteria consuming another bacteria. So that bacteria that got consumed later became what we refer to as a mitochondria. Mitochondrias, these energy factories, produce energy for your body, for your cells. And they are critically important. If You don't have them if they're dysfunctional. You get brain fog, you get you get uh, fatigued and uh, you die early. Mm-hmm. And so how do you get more mitochondria? By actually using the energy produced. Well, how do you get the energy produced? Through both breathing and the food that you consume. But now what we're doing is we're breaking, we're killing our mitochondria by pouring in too much sugar. <laughs> And not moving, and so we're, now we get all this free radical damage instead of the energy. And so, how do you get more energy? Your diet, which is the D of seeds, and the E. The first E is exercise. So I, I literally just talked about two two of the letters of seeds are right there. It's the uh, back to exercise. Now it's the best antidepressant that we have, better than psychotherapy. Yeah. Better than yoga and psychotherapy, by the way, Uh, better than certainly antidepressant medication Uh, and better than antidepressant medication and psychotherapy. You simply need to do it. It is a uh, antidepressant and anxiolytic. Okay. It's
2: really amazing just to sort of highlight that that exercise can have such a profound effect. And I'm I am aware of colleagues who have um, an agreement with with clients that they might see that they must exercise um, to continue with their with their psychotherapeutic work. And it's um you know an interesting interesting negotiation or agreement just because I'm also mindful of the fact that there are often a lot of barriers to entry in regards to exercise. And I think that's something we can come back to once we work our way through the seeds is trying to help people perhaps walk away with a few ideas for how to troubleshoot, starting uh, regular exercise program and and being aware of you know the difficulty we might have when we have a busy life when we're tired you know how we conceptualize how important exercise is and I think you giving us that understanding of what's actually happening at the cellular level for me that's really motivating because I sit here going ooh like I need to make sure I really prioritize mm-hmm. this because those days that I'm feeling sleep deprived and tired and balancing you know x y and z in my life it's going to ultimately feed me and Be really important that I do get out and do some, you know, cardiovascular activity Mm -hmm. to um, to improve my well being and my capacity to cope with all of these these stressors or these you know beautiful balances that are in my life.
0: (laughs) Exactly, and in fact, I'm like one of your colleagues who require uh, my clients uh, to do that as a condition for seeing me. Because if the seeds factors, and here we're talking about exercises, aren't employed, what we're not uh, doing is providing the foundation to build our helping relationship. So in other words, if there's no foundation, what are we doing? We're talking around it. Uh, so uh, I, sometimes if they don't exercise before seeing me, I'll take them for a walk and do the walk test the walk so and talk session really fast enough sessions. so it's hard to talk and walk at the same time then you know you're getting a cardio boost
2: yeah okay the second e
0: uh if uh, were you going to say something?
2: Well, I was just going to relate it back to back to you and some research I'd done because I did um, I guess a process evaluation of of a yoga intervention and when I'd been designing the intervention because there's such strong literature around increasing your heart rate, there's obviously different styles of yoga and some of the stronger, more dynamic styles do increase your heart rate, so there is a cardiovascular benefit, mm-hmm. and we included that in some of the work that we did by um. I guess this, this awareness of how important that outcome actually is as an alternative to some of the gentler styles, which I think are really great at turning on the parasympathetic nervous system and helping people relax and stress, but that there's these different variations within, you know, a yoga framework, for instance, but that this might relate to, you know, for instance, walking as well, that we need to be mindful of the Mm -hmm. heart rate actually increasing regardless of what type of exercise we might be choosing.
0: Exactly. In fact, earlier we were talking about Kundalini yoga, and they employ this, what they call the breath of fire, which is essentially hyperventilation. But they're also doing a lot of the traditional Hatha yoga positions while they're doing the breath of fire. So they are getting their heart rate up at the same time as they're doing these stretches, simultaneously attempting to meditate. Uh, uh, So it's a combination of those three
2: yeah which is incredible um so sorry let's let's continue on our seeds journey and plant new seeds so we had social and exercise
0: and so uh the second e is education and so if you're not learning something new every day uh you're not building the connectivity uh, in your brain so think in terms of your brain being composed of uh, roughly about 200 Uh, no, I'm sorry, 100 billion neurons. And then there's probably another trillion of these glial cells. So let's just talk about the neurons right now. Not to say that the uh, the glial cells aren't important. They're incredibly important. Uh, but, well, these neurons aren't all pre-connected and hardwired. They're softwired by what you do. And so by learning, uh, you make new connections. In fact, earlier you mentioned one of my earlier self-help books called Rewire Your Brain. Yeah. And that's the whole concept there is by learning something new, you're making new connections. And we call that memory. Uh, and so later in life, for example, for uh, for any of your listeners that are concerned about uh, whether or not they might uh, develop dementia. We know now from all this uh, incredible research on longevity that uh, the greater cognitive reserve you have, the more um, uh, resistant, you could say, uh, to developing dementia-like symptoms. What do I mean by cognitive reserve? The more connectivity you have, the more you can lose without looking like you lost much (laughs) because you've got so much more connectivity. Uh, and so learning is really about making new connections, and especially if those connections are connections that are um, in areas that are hard to grasp. Like uh, the last couple of mornings, I've been sitting around uh, listening to this lecture series on um, uh, chemistry and and <laughs> um, uh, and biochemistry oh geez my god it's so hard for me to focus and i'm sitting there with my devil espresso you know and and, and i'm you know not retaining everything and i know that I have to go over it again and again because it's so long ago that i learned that stuff and so the more connectivity i have the more building i can do later on based on all those connections so we could say that learning is part of the infrastructure of your brain's ability or your mind's ability to think in nimble and flexible ways, uh meaning you're more adaptive and so uh, and especially if you learn things that you're less likely to uh like i mean uh, because as you cultivate things that you don't like. Sooner or later, you like them.
2: Okay, so, so that say. familiarity, once you're kind of getting um, to a certain level in something and it perhaps becomes a bit more easeful, it becomes a bit more enjoyable.
0: Exactly. Let me just use a very rudimentary uh, uh, example uh, riding a bicycle. When you're first learning how to ride a bicycle, of course, this is just motoric, you know, muscle movement and everything. You're wobbling all over the place and, you know, you're falling down. After a while, you get the hang of it. Or let me use uh, another example of uh, what I'm going to do tomorrow. And then look up there at the ski resort there. I'm going to go up and go skiing for the first time this year. And so uh, I I used to say if you're not on the edge of falling, you're not learning. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And so after a while, you get more agile and more nimble and all that. Well, if we're talking cognitive, meaning thinking, and learning some things that you don't normally, you know, you're not that familiar with, like a whole different language, then you're building so much more of the infrastructure. And especially if you're a little disturbed by it. Okay. Then you really develop some infrastructure there.
2: So So it's actually helpful to feel a bit uncomfortable. It's getting out of your comfort zone by the sounds. That edge of falling is is beyond where a lot of us might intuitively feel like the most comfortable life exists. If we're getting a little bit further out there, it might actually enhance the quality of our life.
0: Exactly. So we as psychologists know uh, that to help a client uh, achieve better... um, Adaptability, less anxiety, and all that. They, we have to expand their comfort zone. How do we expand their comfort zone by getting them uncomfortable so they can later become comfortable? Uh, so, if on the other hand we were the type of therapist that hold people's hands and just, oh, it's so bad, yes, and we're soothing them and all, that's all nice and everything, but you're not helping them actually expand their comfort zone. So really what we're doing is we're getting them out of their comfort zone so that comfort zone can get enlarged that's how the brain works brilliant so you're not going to expand your brain's capacity to develop more uh agility without getting out there beyond where you're necessarily comfortable
2: so education is then by the sounds it's not just formal education like going off to tertiary and getting a degree. It's taking this opportunity to learn new skills, new opportunities to push yourself sort of to the edge in various areas in your life to a place where you feel a bit more uncomfortable, be it language or, you know, you use the example of skiing, but I I gather here we're talking about cognitive learning and it doesn't have to be done in a formal sense. It's something that someone could do. Like you mentioned this morning, you were by yourself, you know, consuming this material on, on chemistry and you... Provided yourself that opportunity to learn something that you at this point might feel a bit uncomfortable with. It's a bit foreign because it's something you're you haven't engaged in in a number of years.
0: Excellent summary. Wonderful.
2: Oh That's um, fantastic. So, uh, so that's the, empowering. People can do it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, absolutely. And and uh, every increment uh, is to your benefit. Uh, and so uh, the the bottom line is. Just going a little bit beyond where you were the day before uh, is the building process that we're talking about.
2: Just a reminder that our launch party is happening on Dr. Caitlin on Instagram and at Wisdom for Wellbeing Pod on Facebook. Right now you have a chance to win the Mind Prize, which is one St. Belford Curation 2020 diary. This diary is amazing in guiding you through your mind, body, and soul care from prompting you to reflect and plan for everything from self-care, a mission statement, and habit and saving curation. It's a beautiful opportunity to focus on what you would like to create in 2020. You can go to www.stbelford.com.au to have a look. And this diary pairs perfectly with the Busy Mind Reboot course, which is developed by Dr. Jessica. And of course, we are talking to Dr. Jessica in episode three. She'll share more about the Busy Mind Reboot herself, but it was basically created as a way of making psychological skills accessible more broadly, particularly given that so many of us are reporting higher levels of stress and distress every day. You can head to BusyMindReboot.com to sign up for her Insiders Club, which is free as well. Finally, to create an environment for the mind to find its vibrancy, the Mind Giveaway Prize includes an essential oil and a room spray developed by Haley at liveessence.com.au who handcrafts these natural plant-based fragrances to really nurture. Please head to drkatelyn.com forward slash launch TCS to read the full launch terms and conditions. Thank you so much for celebrating launch week with us, and good luck if you are participating in our giveaway.
0: Now, let's talk about diet. Uh, I, earlier I mentioned uh, you know, what we're doing in the Western diet that's actually killing us and, and fogging out our brain. Uh, but think in terms of diet as the, uh, part of the infrastructure of your neurochemistry. Uh, we have been fond of talking about all these brain chemicals called, you know, neurotransmitters. And, you know, there's some that are super popular out there. Then the general public says, Oh, serotonin, it's all about serotonin and all that. Well, the drugs don't make these uh, these brain chemicals like serotonin, for example, let's take that one. It's made by your body via the food that you eat in the specific Precursor amino acids. In the case of uh, serotonin, it's tryptophan. And uh, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about gut bacteria. Yeah. Um, your gut has uh, a lot of important uh, types of bacteria. Uh, and we want to have a balanced um, spectrum of uh, bacteria in our gut. There's more DNA in your gut that isn't you than there is in each one of your cells that is you. Uh, So we're host to a lot of bacteria that's doing a very, very important job for us. And part of that job is to digest our foods, create all these various neurotransmitters, neuromodulators, and all that. And if that bacteria gets uh, imbalanced, we call that dysbiosis, Because of the food that we eat that's more on the um, simple carbohydrate level or fried foods, let's take uh, uh, fish and chips, for example. You know, I know it's very popular in Australia and certainly the UK. (laughs) Um, So here you've got, uh, uh, well, let's take the chips. Uh, You know, all the real nutrient parts of the potatoes are already peeled off. (laughs) And then you soak it in, in, Um, hot grease Uh, well boy what that does is screw up your gut bacteria Uh, and by the way we call them french fries here and it's the most highly consumed vegetable matter in my country (laughs) as well doing all sorts of damage Uh, I'm not saying it would kill you if you ever have a french fry I'm just saying you just don't eat it every day because you create inflammation
2: yeah and interesting that's the most consumed
0: (laughs) It is. And so if you have inflammation in your gut, then you're going to have probably leaky gut syndrome, which means now your gut lining is not exactly that, you know, uh, uh, ironclad. You're going to get inflammatory uh, chemicals in your abdomen, uh, abdominal cavity that's going to signal your brain to produce its own inflammation. There are these uh, uh, cells that I was mentioning before, the glial cells, and their are microglial that are like your immune system in your brain. So if it senses those trillions of sense, your uh, infl- inflammatory circuit, you're going to have inflammation in your brain, which means you're not going to be able to think clearly. You're just going to be all fogged out. You're going to have blue moods and all that simply because you ate a bunch of junk.
2: It's bi-directionally. You, is happening in your gut affects what's happening in your brain.
0: In a powerful way. Uh, And you can see it all over the general media right now. Uh, uh, You don't have to be a psychologist uh, to uh, understand this. On all the major newspapers, I've seen articles about bacteria all over the place. So it's readily available with uh, no question about it that Uh, Too much sugar, too much fried foods screw up your gut bacteria that screws up your brain. And as a result, you get depressed and you can't think clearly. Uh, So what do you do? Mm. Well, uh, it turns out that the Mediterranean or the Okinawan diet, which is the Asian equivalent to the Mediterranean diet, is actually the most uh, uh, beneficial uh, to not just your gut bacteria, but your, your entire being. So, what is it essentially about? Well, it's about building everything you um, are consuming on uh, vegetables uh, and fruits and vegetables, a little bit more the, the vegetables and the fruit, but basically fruit and vegetables and complex carbohydrates. Not, you know, I know there's this big fad about no carbs and all that kind of stuff, but complex carbohydrates are very important. Um, and if you want to be a vegan, you better be a smart vegan. Because there are a lot of vegans that are really destroying their health because they don't understand the full range of nutrients they need to uh, consume.
2: So being mindful of supplementation in that case and making sure that you're accessing the vitamins, the minerals that you need.
0: Well, there is a a big dialogue and big debate about supplementation. Most of the supplements that we take get peed out anyway. There's far more bioavailability in the foods that you eat in terms of the absorption of uh, your essential minerals, your essential vitamins and so on. I mean, I take vitamins myself. i take a multiple and I take an omega-3 and a, and a D. Well, yeah, how much of it is I'm, I'm absorbing? Heck, I don't know. <laughs> but far less uh, than I am through my so-called Mediterranean diet. Now, the Oakland Island diet is similar uh and again it 's built on on fruit and vegetables um, and uh with regard to saturated fat, I mean you and I have been vegetarians uh, i'm assuming very yeah. times and, and uh well, it turns out that a little bit of meat isn't really going to kill you um, i personally i don't eat much but myself but uh but certainly like fish um, but it 's not going to kill you, but if you have it every day that's bad news because <laughs> you, you get too much saturated fat in there. But actually, trans fatty acids acts like saturated fat in your brain, too. Uh, so, you know, you could say, oh, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat a lot of chips. <laughs>
2: so it's safe. that concept of being, you know, a junk vegetarian, for instance, where you're, yeah. you know, going and getting the potato chips, the French fries, the cookies, whatever it may be that is um an option that's available so just because you're a vegetarian or a vegan it doesn't necessarily mean that you're eating all of these fruits and vegetables that you alluded to needed to be the building blocks and then the complex carbohydrates
0: yeah exactly well wonderful way to encapsulate that a junk vegetarian is like a contradiction <laughs> in many ways I'm I'm a vegetarian because I'm I'm really into health but I'm into junk food <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, we could go on and on about the diet aspect, but let's go to the last S of Cs, and that's sleep. And so there's no one thing called sleep. Uh, Just because you sleep through the night doesn't mean you're getting good sleep architecture. And what I mean by sleep architecture is there are levels of sleep that are associated with particular types of brainwave patterns. And so we've done a lot of research on uh, sleep stages, for really almost a hundred years, thanks to the um, advent of uh, our um, EEG machines and, and so on. so we know that there are different brainwave uh, uh, patterns that are associated with stages of sleep, and um, these stages are critically important for all sorts of fundamentally important uh, aspects to our health, like our immune system. So with slow wave sleep, for example, our immune system gets bolstered um and that's the deepest sleep that's the so-called delta theta wave sleep and with REM sleep when when people think oh that's dream sleep well REM sleep is very if you look at the brain waves associated with REM sleep it's very much like what we're producing right now in terms of trying to attend to what what one another is saying yeah so it's not like real um slow wave um relaxing sleep when you're dreaming i mean think of in terms of uh When you're dreaming, you're not always doing something relaxing. I I wrote down my dreams for nine years. uh, And uh, um, in every dream theory, I was into uh, correspondence to the dream language, of course. But the fact of the matter was... Not all dreams were all just sitting by the river looking up at a mountain. No, a lot of them, most common dreams are you arrive at a class late or somebody's chasing you
2: or something. They're like stressful. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so uh, these stages of sleep and uh, stage one and two um, are equally important. However, uh, what we've done in recent years, especially in the Western world, Uh, because of our bad diet and lack of exercise, is we minimize the layers of sleep that are very important, let's say, back to slow wave sleep. And then we also add in um, uh, compounds, whether they're over-the-counter medications or the garbage of our prescription world, which are the benzodiazepines. I mean, that's absolute garbage. Uh, Would you
2: mind um, just sharing a little bit, just quickly, what a benzodiazepine is for um, the listeners who might not be familiar with that term?
0: Sure. That's the class of drugs that are generally uh, called in, in uh, uh, most circles as the anti-anxiety drugs, uh, which include Valium, clonopin, Xanax. These are brand names. But, uh, and uh, actually what they do is make anxiety worse. For the minimal benefit you get the first time you take it, you get worse over time. It's like boiling a lobster first in cold, cold water and pretty soon it doesn't even know it's being boiled. I mean, you don't know how you got there, but uh, the anxiety issue is a separate one, but it's partly related to this larger factor, and that is the benefit that you get from sleep, from taking a Benzo at night, is only because you're asleep through the night without waking up, but that doesn't mean you got good quality sleep, or you take an over-the-counter medication uh, that has a Benadryl-like substance. Uh, which are far more readily consumed. And it turns out that you're getting garbage sleep again. So what's garbage sleep? Well, if you minimize the depth of your sleep, meaning you don't get stage four sleep, because you're taking one of these compounds, benzodiazepines or Benadryl-like substance, or drinking alcohol at night.
2: That's the common one too, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, or drinking, uh, you know... uh, uh, caffeinated beverages later in the afternoon
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because of the half-life, depending on the, the amount of caffeine and all that. You minimize the depth of your sleep. And why is that so important? Because it turns out um, we now know that during good quality sleep, there's a kind of a washing machine um, process going on in sleep. In other words, you're washing out all these toxic buildups of various uh, uh, proteins that you don't want to accumulate, like beta amyloid and others. And it turns out that if you aren't complicated by these extra additives, Benadryl or whatever, uh, and you are doing all the other seeds factors. Your glial cells start to shrink, allowing the cerebrospinal fluid to wash out all this beta amyloid and all these other factors, all these toxic chemicals. And it turns out that we now know that people that get dementia earlier than others are the ones that have had bad sleep and haven't washed out these data amyloids
2: that is hugely motivating john one of um my roles is is working with older people and hearing hearing that that's incredible motivation i would i would think for myself at the very least for ensuring that my sleep is clean sleep that it's not garbage sleep and i think what you mentioned there around caffeine for instance and the half-life just for people who aren't familiar with the terminology of half-life what you're referring to there is how long it actually takes for a substance to get out of your system so how quickly it's metabolized and what you mentioned was that if you had caffeine, in addition to alcohol or other pharmaceuticals, other drugs, late at night, even if you fell asleep, it doesn't mean that these substances are out of your system or positively impacting your system, which means that the quality of the sleep you engage in, you experience is going to be less and not healing at the deeper level.
0: Exactly. Nice summary. And let me just add to it. Yeah. Uh, you said a caffeine late at night. Uh, So I'm, you know, you're in the morning because you're in Australia. I'm I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's now afternoon. If I were to consume my favorite drug right now, my only drug that I consume right now is espresso.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I love
0: espresso. When I was sitting there listening to this lecture on chemistry, I was drinking my double espresso, you know. But I would love to have a double espresso right now. And you know what time it is here? It's roughly what? About 1.30 or something like that in the afternoon. I cannot drink a double espresso at this time and get good quality stage four sleep tonight. So not late at night, in the afternoon.
2: In the afternoon, yes. Yeah.
0: Drinking caffeine or consuming caffeine uh, and I'm talking, you know, even green tea, you know, we're all into green tea, you know, yeah. because of vital nutrients and all that. Um, well, then you have less depth to your sleep. So generally speaking, caffeine ought to be done by lunch.
2: Okay, that's a good, a good memory hook and a good time frame for people to work to.
0: And a couple more things about sleep on a real uh, kind of basic level, a lot of times people don't understand that body temperature is a very critical uh, aspect to sleep. You can get to sleep uh, if you're all covered up in your duvet or or whatever your quilty or or whatever, but your body temperature should be dropping, not rising mm-hmm. and so what typically happens with people who aren't Um, uh, cognizant of that fact is they wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep. And so what you really want to be doing is go to sleep on a uh, a little bit on the cool side. So you're thinking, oh, I'd love to have that extra blanket on me right now. But, you know, I don't I want to be able to have my body temperature to drop. So body temperature is critically important. Uh, And a lot of people don't pay as much attention to it. The fresh air as much as possible, opening the window, whatever, not a stuffy warm room. Uh, Another thing that uh, we uh, in uh, the modern world now are paying attention to, like you and I, as we look at one another through the computer here, is we're looking at straight at light. And a lot of people look at light in the late evening because they're looking at a computer screen. And it tricks the brain. Uh, uh, your retina picks up the information, signals your pineal gland that it's daytime outside, don't secrete the sleeping hormone melatonin. And so what you're doing is you're manufacturing uh, insomnia. As a result, of computer use late at night. Now, one last word about sleep that I think is important, because a lot of times people are saying, "Well, well, I'll just go to the health food store and buy a bunch of melatonin. Well, if you want to get depressed, go ahead. Because uh, if I, I know that a lot of people know what seasonal affective disorder is, especially in the nor- extreme northern latitudes or extreme southern latitudes, uh, in the winter time. In other words, not enough, not enough light. Well, when there's not enough light, full spectrum light, um, and uh, you don't get outside, um, as a result of that, less light. Your pineal gland secretes more melatonin, which competes for melatonin—I'm I'm sorry, serotonin—for uh, the same receptor sites, and so that's why people get depressed. Now people are taking depression in a bottle. That's they... interesting
2: because I think a lot of people have heard of serotonin, and it was um, we referenced it earlier. So here you are saying that melatonin is hitting the same receptor sites as serotonin, which people are familiar with, and that link with depression.
0: Exactly. And so, what we don't want to be doing is taking things that make us more depressed. And actually, melatonin is just a circadian rhythm regulator, it's not a sleeping potion. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people come in five milligrams, 10 milligrams of melatonin a day, and they're, they, they're asking me to help them with their depression. Well, they're taking depression in a bottle.
2: So it's something to be really, really mindful of because it is is—it is common practice. It's something that I'm aware of. A number of people being recommended from different... Um I guess sources of information or something that might have been googled and that that is actually going to negatively impact your sleep as well as your mood and I guess another thing that came up there was this idea of blue light or screen use late at night and how that mm-hmm. disrupts the circadian rhythm again so this idea of the circadian rhythm being how our body and our sleep and wake cycle flows through the day and I'm aware that when a lot of people can't sleep the easiest access is your phone for a distraction is a lot of people mm-hmm. would be in bed on their phones, and that's something that's really unhelpful in the long exactly. run.
0: Exactly.
2: Do you have any tips of what people might be able to do if they are having trouble sleeping? Just a a really quick sort of starting point and something that maybe people could follow up.
0: <laughs> sure. So, so think of your bedtime routine as as really um, uh, critical here. You know, you want to. Um, for example, even have your bedroom be associated with just uh, uh, one or two things and that's it. Uh, nothing, no no TV in there, uh, no time for you and your partner to talk about finances. Uh, you don't want to have your office in there. It's one or two things and one you do more than the other and that's the sleep one and the other one is, a, you know, maybe the sensual activity between you and your partner and anything else it's in and, and by the way i'm i'm just sort of uh, um uh summarizing what has been referred to as cognitive behavioral treatment for sleep there's a whole field yes. and uh, and they're really into this whole idea of conceptual frames and and everything else and it's very important because the way we conceptualize where we are the rooms that we're in has a major effect on what we do in those rooms and so if your room only has to do with those two things. You're more likely to do those two things uh, as opposed to bringing up complex stuff with your partner late at night. You know, I've been holding on to this feeling. and I just want to share it with you. Wait till the morning. You don't want to go to bed in a bad mood. Well, uh, now, prior to getting in that room, let's say uh, what you do in the evening is important. And what you consume, we were talking about that earlier with regard to caffeine and alcohol and, and all that uh, light exposure. It turns out that uh, one of the other uh, seeds factors, exercise, is a very powerful sleep inducer if done in the three to six hour window before you go to sleep. So in other words, you go to sleep, let's say at 11 o'clock at night, you want to be done with whatever exercise you're going to do by eight o'clock. And what could that be? You'd take a brisk walk after dinner, and it turns out you get a much better sleep architecture if you do that. Beautiful. Uh, so, so a body temperature, exercise, also what you consume for dinner, yeah, is a very important factor, and whether or not you snack after dinner what you snack on, and so. If you're gonna snack, uh, let's say, uh, you certainly don't want to have anything that's a stimulant, and uh, and some people might say, well, okay, you already talked about caffeine and all that, or and alcohol, but uh, what about again simple carbohydrates? People like desserts. Uh, and I'm not saying it's gonna kill you if you have it. I love you know ice cream and all that, but I don't eat it every day in fact every maybe once every two weeks or something. but if you have it every night uh or a piece of pie or something like that you're you're creating this neurochemistry of insomnia, so diet is really an important factor. See how these seeds factors work together
2: yeah they're um, very interrelated exactly, and
0: actually, even the social Is Just the comforting feeling of having contact with somebody that you love, that you care about, is a calming factor, especially uh, to your parasympathetic nervous system, through your vagus nerve system, and and so on. Uh, So all these aspects are important to help you uh, uh, create the context to sleep.
2: And the other thing I'm noticing with the interrelatedness, when you were talking about social in the beginning, you did notice that early you know, life experiences that are adverse, that are difficult, can negatively impact someone's attachment and ultimately, make someone more likely to experience ill health, both mental and physical later in life. And what I'm gathering from this conversation around seeds is how different parts of the seeds model, you know, maybe the exercise, the education, the diet, the sleep, and then positive social relations later in life would offer a really nice counterbalance to those early experiences and would actually be transformative, both in regards to that rewiring of the brain that we spoke of, mm-hmm. and at a cellular level as well, how what we do now the decisions we make and the actions we engage in matter and affect us
0: exactly and so you and I are in the field of psychology and and um, we wouldn't even have a field of psychology if people were already so damaged that they're irreparable (laughs) and so if you had a bad attachment early in life and everything it's not the end of the world, uh, uh, what you can do is uh, kindle up those uh, networks uh, and uh, create the ability to self-soothe through mutual self, uh, soothing through our um, reciprocal uh, and warm relationships.
2: So that positive relationship and that connection that is healing and ultimately transformative.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: That's such a brilliant framework, John. So, seeds, social, exercise, education, diet, and sleep—they're ultimately all working together for our emotional and our physical health and well-being—and are so interconnected. Because even when you were describing each element, it led into a conversation about other parts of the model. I think that's that's incredible. And you also alluded to the fact that in your own practice, when you're doing um, work as as a psychologist, as a therapist, that exercise is something that you you check in on at the beginning of sessions so I'm gathering that all of these are things that you might check in on is that is that right
0: exactly so I developed this little simple sheet I call it the seeds log uh, that I would give uh, my clients uh, and you know we all you and I and the listeners would all agree that oh well of course all these factors are important yes But, you know, I generally try to get to them. But you and I, including your listeners, might skip a few. But if we have to uh, attend to them and for my clients have to report back to me uh, that by writing down what they did each day rather than how many seeds factors they hit that week, I'm talking about every single day these seeds factors have to be attended to. So they bring it into me in the session. Now what? What um, uh, two people uh, and I are doing right now? Uh, one of them being in Silicon Valley, we're doing is we're, we're creating a Seeds app. Uh, Brilliant! <laughs> we've already got the app, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, but it, it's being rekindled. I could send you the prototype of it. That but, would be um, fantastic. And so, like with your podcast, for example, uh, you're going to make it available on um, uh, the uh, the App Store. Stores,
2: yeah. Um,
0: same with our app for seeds, and so we want to make it fun, uh, so that uh, you know. Oh God, I don't want to have to type in stuff, you know. And um, who's going to do that? <laughs> you know, if you have an app like that, so there are little dials and and all that, and then you get to see the the, the tree grow or not grow, and turn it into a little bit of a game, uh, so to speak. Incredible. Got so a kind of payoff. So the bottom line is what I'm. I, saying is yes we all agree that these these factors are important but do we do them and how do we make sure that we do them uh and you and i have the ability to have our clients come in and that's part of the condition for us seeing them but how about your listeners that aren't coming to see us or seeing other therapists or whatever well you know i'm not trying to sell my app but you can do other things to do it create your own app if you want but if you have some sort of feedback, you have to report back.
2: Yeah, the uh, to accountability. Yourself.
0: Yes, there has to be that kind of internal uh, uh, driving force to create more motivation, and if you can make it fun, hey, then you're going to more likely to do it. Yeah. Rather than, "Oh crap, I've got to too bad. I forgot. Oh, well, I'm just going to forget it all the time. It's a pain in the neck. Uh, but if you make it fun, that's a whole other story.
2: And that probably goes for a lot of these elements. You know, if we can find a way to make, for instance, exercise fun or, you know, put your mailbox down at the bottom of a hill, just finding ways to i guess bring these these areas these elements into our life in a joyful and a fun basis as well as having the motivation for doing it which i think you did a fantastic job of explaining to us the underlying science and why we need to care about these elements rather than just saying hey you should be doing these you know these five things it's actually this is why we need to be doing them and this is how it's going to positively impact our life both at current our current mental health our sense of well-being as well as down the track mm-hmm. very good now, exactly. John, I'm mindful of your time and the fact that we have been chatting for nearly an hour. Um, would you be able to explain feed or should we save that for another conversation?
0: Uh, sure, I could. Uh, uh, why don't I do that really quickly? If yeah, that's okay.
2: that, that so, would be fantastic I'm, just because we spoke a little bit about it earlier and yeah. how it was really useful. I just thought maybe it would be nice to, to link in if that's all right. Sure.
0: So uh, again, another kind of quick and easy way to remember how uh, to do something. And in this case, the the acronym Feed uh, is meant to um, uh, help you focus on uh, learning. And uh, let's say you want to learn Russian. Uh, and um, uh, oh, I don't feel like learning Russian. You know, let, let me give you an example of actual uh, studies that w- took place, God, 50, 60 years ago. Uh, people were asked to go to sleep and um, uh, they listened to phonographs and I'm sure some of your listeners know what a phonograph is, but you know, all these record parts, you know, and they went to sleep with a phonograph uh, playing a record of Russian speakers. And the whole concept was that they were going to, you know, wake up speaking Russian because they heard Russian all night long while they were sleeping. Well, yet it didn't happen. They didn't wake up speaking Russian because they, they weren't, attentive and weren't focused. In other words, their brain's brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, wasn't engaged. So the first letter of the word feed is focus. So if you want to learn something new, you've got to be where you are when you're there. (laughs) You've got to be attending to what you're trying to learn. You can't be asleep.
2: And see you uh, this morning thing. with your double espresso, learning your um your chemistry, your biochemistry. Yeah, I
0: kept trying to bring myself back to it again. Oh, my God, this complicated chemistry. Do I really want to listen to this? And he has got these cool pictures and everything. I'm trying to pay attention. And it, uh, But uh, I was doing the first E of feed, and that was I was making an effort when I didn't feel like it. I felt like looking up at the mountain range here and fading off. No, no, I'm going to get back to it. So I had to do what I didn't feel like doing uh, until I felt like doing it. That's the second E. That's effortless. So in other words, the more I do it, the more likely to feel okay about it. In other words, it's easier. Let's go back to Russian, for example. I go to the Russian class. I don't feel like it. I'm going to go anyway. That's the effort. And after a while, I'm speaking uh, uh, during the conversation hour uh, with less clumsiness and and uh, uh, a little bit better pronunciation and all that. It's becoming effortless. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then... Uh, I'm able to, let's say, go to St. Petersburg and look at the Hermitage and, and so on. You go back to Adelaide or wherever, and you don't go to Russia for seven years. Do you think you're going to learn be able to navigate it around, uh, seven years later? No, you've got to stay in practice. That's where the D comes in. And that's determination. So, in other words, you, it's one, it's one thing to learn it. Um, but it's a use it or lose it phenomenon. So you've got to focus. You've got to make an effort. After a while, it becomes a little effortless, but you've got to stay in, determined to stay in practice. That's learning. So I just use Russian as an example. Well, you can use anything.
2: Well, you, you used know, but, riding a bike earlier today and kind of spoke to the fact that the first time it's clumsy, and then with practice, you know, you develop this, what we would then call effortlessness.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and uh so we hope that uh everybody all your listeners uh uh would uh think in terms of what they might want to learn and they know that they've always wanted to do it uh whatever it might be uh but initially it's a little difficult uh mm-hmm. but the brain can get rewired and, and it might even be learning how to be comfortable in anxiety provoking areas
2: yeah uh, but this is this is a fantastic um I guess, mnemonic memory for how we might manage anxiety or you know even skills related to a low mood and things how we might transform this how we might rewire our brain it does take focus effort until we get to that state of effortlessness and determination and that's something you alluded to this morning that even when you didn't want to be focusing on the lectures you were listening to you kept bringing yourself back again and again it wasn't that it naturally came easily to you it was something you worked hard for and when we're suffering different forms of mental ill health it does actually take a lot of effort to be Able to engage in the behaviors and the transformations, you know, mentally as well, the cognitive transformations, to be able to heal ourselves, rewire our brain, and to then experience the beneficial effect of that. And we will get to that stage of effortlessness with enough determination.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And and it's it's very clear from uh, the research in the neuroscience in terms of rewiring the brain, and the, the technical word has been neuroplasticity, that you've got to be a little uncomfortable. Before you get comfortable. and so those of our clients, those of your your listeners that might be suffering from a little anxiety and all that, um, uh, if they are clear about the the the, uh, the general requirement that being a little uncomfortable initially will if they push themselves would result in them eventually becoming more comfortable. but you got to get uncomfortable first.
2: Yes, so that's a really good reminder. And I think that's a really fantastic place to start to wrap things up today as well is that we've got to be willing to experience a little bit of discomfort in this pursuit of growth and development and ultimately well-being. And the way to get there is to use the feed approach. So to use our focus, our effort until effortlessness comes about and determination to then lead a life that is in alignment with seeds and practicing seeds, planting seeds for our health and our well-being regularly in fact daily so engaging in positive social interaction regular exercise specifically cardiovascular getting our heart rate up to practice a form of education so learning and we might then utilize our feeds once again to help us with that to have a healthy diet that does fuel us and sustain us primarily fruits and vegetables and complex carbohydrates and to get good quality sleep so being mindful of the substances we're putting into our systems as well as our activities that lead up to sleep making sure that they are conducive to us having a healing experience where our bodies can regenerate and the long-term implications of that which can be positive when we when we're mindful of what we're actually consuming and doing in our daily lives
0: again a wonderful summary
2: well, thank you, thank you so much, John. And I, I've introduced you, and I've explained that you have, you know, fifteen books out, and a number of them are self-help books, which means that they're geared to the general population accessing the wisdom and the information that you've just started to started to share in this in this podcast in this time that we've had together. But that if something resonates with someone, you know, if they've had an experience of anxiety or you know maybe have a diagnosis of PTSD or trauma, there are actually books that you've written. That that they may be able to access and start to work through on their own, as well as perhaps engaging with a therapist or, you know, using your app on a daily basis just to support Mm. that journey as well. Very good so it's been wonderful
0: just, talking to you tonight. it
2: has been wonderful talking to you as well John and I'll put links to all of um, your resources in the show notes as well as to your website where there are also courses in addition to further information about the research you've been doing and for listeners who are in Australia they might actually be able to catch you in person in March you just shared that the workshops you're offering in Adelaide and Perth are workshops that perhaps everyone could attend and learn more about the seeds approach and mind body gene you know how our various systems are interconnected to provide a little bit of extra motivation impetus and for those of us who are a bit um, dare I say nerdy in our in our learnings and desire mm. to cultivate that that knowledge base that education
0: very good I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you in Adelaide and, and uh, thank you again for a wonderful interview
2: you found the interview with John as inspiring as I did. I think he highlights the components of creating a good life and ultimately changing our biology and brains for the better. Nothing motivates me so much as clear research. Now a handout where you can keep track of your seeds and feed can be downloaded in the show notes at drcaitlin.com forward slash two along with a full episode transcript. This said, hopefully we'll be able to access Dr. Arden's app soon. I also wanted to let you know that if you visit drjohnarden.com, you'll find a number of online trainings that he offers, so you might be interested in enrolling. Or if you're in Australia, John will be offering a number of in-person trainings in the major cities this coming March 2020. Details of all of this will be in the show notes. And if you don't already know, as a special new year launch, multiple Wisdom for Wellbeing episodes are being released this week. So subscribe now and tomorrow you'll hear from Dr. Jessica Boroshak all about finding effective strategies to manage your busy mind and cultivate a valued life, as well as how a yoga practice may support you in this effort. I'm looking forward to connecting with you
1: soon. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drkaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for well being is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.